So welcome to this STI podcast. Uh, my name is Andy Winter. I'm a consultant in sexual health and HIV in Glasgow. And today I'm interviewing Gary Brook, who is presenting a paper uh, published on February the 14th about the effectiveness of electronic records in assessing the treatment and part notification outcomes for chlamydia and gonorrhea. Gary, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about the paper that uh, is to be published next week? Yeah, thanks, Andy. Um, as Andy says, I'm Gary Brook. I'm clinical lead in sexual health and HIV for Central Middlesex and Northwick Park hospitals in northwest London. And this paper um, arises from a request from hospital managers about a year ago asking us to provide some clinical outcome data which we could provide to them on a regular basis to allow us to monitor our effectiveness. And in fact, all departments in the hospital were asked to do this. So we decided uh, that the treatment um, success for chlamydia and gonorrhea and partner notification success for chlamydia and gonorrhea would be the most useful things to measure. And we thought that because we already had electronic patient records, then that would be quite a simple thing to do. So what we did was we um, looked for a month period at a time, measured treatment outcome and partner notification outcome using an electronic search of our electronic patient records using a software called Crystal Reports to extract that data. Now, I remember from when we used paper notes, which was the last time we did that was about four years ago, that it used to take us about two days to come up with data like this. It, it was a mind-numbingly boring process going through each set of notes to extract the data. So I expected it to be rather quick, but in fact, when we did it at first, it still took us eight hours. And when we looked at why that was happening, we realized that the problem was that the health advisors, the people who record the partner notification outcome data especially, but also the treatment outcome uh, data, were not putting the data in the correct place. So they were writing it as free text entries in the electronic notes rather than entering them into areas of the electronic notes which um, they were supposed to enter enter them into, which were the areas which were amenable to electronic search. So we had a chat with them about how important it was to enter the data exactly as we wanted it to be entered so that it could be amenable uh, for searching. When we did that, or when they did that, uh, we then took the time required down to do a search to one and a half hours. In fact, the search itself, the crystal report, actually takes about 15 minutes. And we have about 90 to 95% of the data in front of us already on an Excel spreadsheet. The extra hour or so, in fact, is just due to data verification, just looking at the odd gap here and there to see why there was a gap and just making sure that the the data was accurate. And okay, that, so that, that's a really important sort of factor for, for IT projects, the 90-10 rule or the 80-20 rule, isn't it, that, that you can get the bulk of this from a single report and then spend a bit of time tidying up the remnants and have you found that in other areas of your practice using this EPR? Oh absolutely because we use crystal reports quite a lot now and it, and, and the same happens each time that um, we, we ask people to record the data in, in a very specific way but some people 
can't get their mind completely away from the old way of doing things when they use paper notes of writing things down in free text. Unfortunately, um, although it is technically possible to search free text for data, it is much more difficult uh, and it's certainly much easier if they enter the data in the form exactly which, which we want, which, which um, allows the um, crucial report to pull the data off straight away. So just while we're on the process you went through before we come to the results you got, but what, what were the ways you, you kind of helped staff improve this? I mean, how much arm-twisting uh, chocolate bars on the wall drowned? What, what I mean, how do you get people to move to this 90% done the right way? It's an amazing achievement. Well, I think the, the, the first thing is that um, it was just explaining to the health advisors and, uh, and some other members of staff, but in this particular case it was largely health advisors, why we wanted to do it, because I think that we, we'd said to them before that this is the way that we want you to do it, but because there was no obvious outcome to it, then it didn't really sink into them uh, to them as being important. But so the first thing we did was reiterate how important it was and why it was important. That's a carrot. There was also a little bit of stick involved, and that was um, I made them fill in all the gaps for the data that wasn't there. So in other words, the, um, the difference between the one and a half hours and the eight hours was six and a half hours work, which I made the health advisors do. And when they realized that, that uh, we had to do this every month and they were going to have to spend six and a half hours completing the data, uh, they very quickly learned to do it prospectively rather than retrospectively. So there's a few generalizable points from that that I found in my own IT work, and it's working with a focused group of staff with a particular outcome in mind. And this very important thing about, isn't it, seeing the benefits uh, that need to be personal, is that people hate putting stuff into a system that disappears forever. But I think with the health advisors, they have ownership of these part notification outcomes, presumably are proud of the results you're going to go and tell us about. And, uh, and when you see those personal benefits, people do tend to change practice. So that's, that's a really positive outcome from that, isn't it? No, I absolutely agree. And yeah. as, as you said, once, once we'd explained to them why it was important and once we showed to them what the outcome was of them not putting the data in, then they very quickly changed. And it only took a, another month or so for, for us to get to the situation where the vast majority of data was being recorded in the right way and extracted um, very easily. So just on this process stuff, I noticed you, you, your EPR has been developed over at least two years or more before you started on this work, and yet you still have these initial problems. I mean, is this now an area you're beginning to focus in other parts of the service, other clinical data items? Do, do you feel that staff are still not systematically putting things uh, in a reportable area? Oh, absolutely, and, and I'm, I'm doing it all the, all the time. The, one of the problems that we have is that we're constantly being bombarded with requests from data from, from outside bodies. And therefore, it's very, very important that we record such data in a, in a searchable form. You know, for instance, um, the, uh, in London, we have the, these things called sequins. There are um, uh, these, these outcome targets are seen elsewhere as well. Uh, sequins stand for commissioning for quality and innovation and basically we're given targets by the people who buy HIV care from us and uh, these uh, targets can be a, a multiplicity of things so for instance um, in the coming year they've given us targets for recording um, patients um, cardiovascular disease risk 
they've given us targets for um, how many letters have we written to the patient's general pra- practitioner. So there's a multiplicity. I could, yeah. I could go on. And, and so I'm forever, forever having to speak to the members of staff, basically almost on a weekly basis, and explaining to them why we've got to record the data in such a way, uh, and also giving them very positive feedback when... Um, at the, when the time comes for us to produce this data, then we produce fantastic quality data very quickly, dare I say, much more quickly than most other services, services do, as a result of people using electronic patient record systems properly. And one of the benefits you've perhaps not highlighted in the paper is that the, the time freed from the health advisors, you, you spend sort of two, two days of clinical time planning through records to abstract information. You now have a data manager doing that, and the health advisors presumably are free uh, for um, you know, 16 hours of face-to-face clinical work, um, uh, which may be one reason your uh, um, results have improved. Yeah, that, that that could well be so. In fact, a lot of the 16 hours of, of was also for, for the um, administration staff actually finding the notes in the first place as well. I factored mm-hmm. that into it. But still, yes, there was huge savings to the health advisors uh, or, or whoever else got involved in these or these uh, clinical mm-hmm. outcome searches or audits um, in in extracting the data. So summarising what you found then, because you, you, you had a, moved from a sort of major once-a-year massive audit, which everyone would perhaps look at and feel bad about and not know you weren't going to visit it for another year. So uh, you moved to a very uh, systematic process of monthly reviews. What were the findings from the paper then? Yeah, so um, as, as well as finding that um, within the first couple of months we'd moved from eight hours to one and a half hours in producing the data, um, we found, as, as I hoped uh, and sort of expected, that our uh, treatment success was very good. So um, the number of patients or proportion of patients with chlamydia and gonorrhea who had been treated within four weeks was approximately 95% for, for both infections. Um, I published a paper about six months ago, in, in fact, looking at chlamydia, and that's the sort of data um, we were getting then, but looking at that, at that in a somewhat different context. The partner notification uh, data was also very interesting because in the first month, we, our uh, successful treatment of at least one partner was 70% for chlamydia and, uh, sorry, for gonorrhea and 64% for um, chlamydia. Um, but by the end of the six months, um, set of data which I've reported in this paper, we, we found that um, 97%, sorry, uh, 90% and 80, 86% um, of uh, these patients with these infections were having successful partner notification. However, I do have to put a health warning on the 90% and 86% successful uh, partner notification. These are soft, as you would describe, soft partner PN outcomes. In other words, these were a mixture of verified and unverified PN outcomes. Although I would say in my defence that in in London, where patients have got a a choice of about 28 different clinics, not to mention various other sources, um, that the job of verifying treatment of the partner is extremely difficult. It's very rare actually nowadays for us to get a contact slip back 
um, from another clinic saying someone stand up there and, and being treated. So I think these soft outcomes are really the only way we could actually measure our um, outcomes. That's but it, right. it is interesting, yeah, it is interesting though how our, our PN success seemed to improve by about 20% from the beginning of the six months to the end of the six months. Um, and it may well be that we were being better at, at, at PN, but I suspect it, I think we were just being better at recording data. Yes, you're recording the true outcomes that may have been missed before with missing notes and so on. Um, some of the other benefits of IT, of course, that we found from, from the Scottish context where you, you have a slightly more uh, global system, it is, is it easier with the EPR to follow up treatments. So where you've got big data capture and you've got maybe one system serving a large area, it's easier to verify outcomes because the patient's going to pop up when you do a search by their date of birth or their name. Um, and also the GP uh, cases, now it's much easier to interrogate GP um, systems, for example, lab results. It's possible for us to check uh, chlamydia results in primary care patients across our own health board area of a million people. So this is allowed, allowed in some areas you, you can get slightly better at the hard part notification outcomes of actually verified treatment and verified testing. Um, still takes time to do that work, of course, as, as you comment um, as well. Um, I was going to go on to ask you about um, the generalizability of this. You, you talk in your paper about the difficulty, the diversity of EPR systems. In the last sort of few minutes, maybe, to talk about that, because you, you've had a sort of bespoke development on, the, on a, a platform that's generally available, but you've done your own templates and written your own specific report. And I, I would doubt you could plug that report and plonk it into another clinic and let it run um, exactly as coded. How, are you, how do you think we, we should overcome this? I mean, some of the EPR systems developing in different directions, aren't they? Yeah, and it's a shame they're moving further and further apart, and, and, and it's a real conundrum. I must say I'm really jealous of you or what you've achieved in Scotland. I think you've done a fantastic job there, and really that's the, the, the ideal solution that, that would apply to the rest of the UK where it's possible, but the problem is that different clinics, different um, health providers all go their own way, and there's not a unifying way of bringing them together. There might have been, for instance, with the national program um, for um, IT, but, but that seems to have died a death, and so I don't think we're getting there very soon. Um, I think the generalizability well, is well. First of all, the, the system that we use, the the Blythe Lily system, it, it's used by quite a lot of clinics o over the country. And certainly, what I've been doing um, for the last two years or so is running uh, a series of seminars. I run them about once every two every two months or so, where I invite people who use that particular system down there, talk to them about EPR, try to persuade them to to move to EPR, um, and offer. Uh, free of charge, as it happens, um, all the clinical templates that I've developed. Uh, and so in my own little way, I'm trying to develop a, a uniform system amongst uh, that, uh, mm -hmm. that particular system. But, but then, of course, people will go away and um, modify the systems to their own use. So we, yes, you're quite right. The crystal report I've developed would probably still not work even in people who use the same IT, IT system. Because uh, the, the, the there are IT is. solutions to extracting data from differently coded fields and putting it together, but that you could perhaps do that on a pan-London basis, perhaps. But it's quite a challenge to develop all that software. But this is an area that's it's quite important, isn't it, the, the outcome of part notification? And it's one which we know historically clinics have been quite poor at recording and, and, and have had for a specialist service, you know, possibly uh, not particularly creditable results. <laughs> um, 
so this is this is clearly very important. Um, do you feel that um, that clinicians are going to move to use electronic records as the default position? There's a very strong EPR drive in acute sectors right now. I, I don't know how things are in London, but um, you know, paperless working is, is, is certainly uh, coming to my own hospital here in quite a big way now. Um, where do you think we're going to be in three years' time? Um, I, I would hope that in three years' time there'd be a lot more services using EPR, but it, it, I must say it is, it is a struggle. In the seminars that I that I run, um, people come to me and say, I'd really love to go to EPR, and, they, and there are generally two reasons they give me why they, they haven't. Uh, the first is financial. Um, even the relatively small amount of money required to invest into changing um, systems which are already, in fact, often in place and change them in, into EPR, some um, clinical services are still finding difficulty in finding the money required to do that because you need some extra um, PCs, you need some money in um, uh, buying the extra licenses for the, for the software and so on. So, um, but I, I always say to them, but of course, but look at the savings you're going to make. Um, your administration staff, I would estimate, to be about 40% more efficient. So you can use uh, potentially use savings there, not to mention all the, the huge clinical savings, the savings in saving notes and so on. Anyway, and the, the, the other reason that I sense for, pe for um, clinical services not moving over is just people's reticence about IT. There are still some people who feel rather nervous about IT, um, about, for instance, confidentiality, or just about the change required moving from the, the old tried and trusted paper notes way into the electronic way of doing things, which does require a different mindset. And I do find quite a lot of um, people with some sort of mental barrier against that. So I think EPR is fantastic, just as you do. I really cannot see why people do not use EPR. It's so brilliant in terms of, of the efficiencies and the effect effectiveness that it brings. And I would hope in three years' time that we would get a lot closer to it. But I think it's going to take a little bit longer, unfortunately. Well, maybe the subject of a debate at a future BASH meeting is yes. people who perhaps are reluctant to move to, to sit and, and, and explain. I, I think certainly in our own context in, in, in Glasgow, we run a, a series of, of, of community-based clinics. We, we, we had to move to EPR because we couldn't safely support care. And you can't have people driving around with notes in their car boot. That's just not acceptable anymore these days. So being able to see, as you put in your paper, multiply acts access the record from multiple locations and importantly centralize some of these processes. One other reason you may have improved quality is that you've got a centralized PN process with a core team of staff dedicated to getting that outcome sorted. Uh, whereas if you disperse it around lots of different people on paper records who perhaps know it's not going to be easy to measure, then it's much more difficult to, to evidence the quality improvement. So it's, it's a really uh, lovely paper, which is, is published this week. You've been listening to the STI podcast, and I've been talking to Gary Brook from North London. This is Dr. Andy Winter in Glasgow. For more information about this programme and other BMJ Group podcasts, please visit bmj.com.